our podcast this week, Charlie Hunnam gives us the old razzle-dazzle with the podcast microphone as he drops by to talk King Arthur, Legend of the Sword. Plus, the usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast that has never knowingly disclosed classified information to the Russian government. And that <laughs> is legally binding. Okay, got it? Legally binding. Hello, Pod. I'm Comrade Chris Hewitovich, and welcome to the Empire Podcast, brought to you by those wonderful car insurance comparison peeps at mustard.co.uk. Believe me, when it comes to car insurance comparison, nobody does it better. These guys have a direct line to the top. This week, I'm joined by two colleagues of such lethal cunning. Yeah, I've, I've been very aware recently that it's been a bit of a sausage fest on the podcast. Um, so this week is a sausage-free zone, you'd be delighted to know. And that includes me. <laughs> Says a lot about my poor wife. Oh, your poor wife. Um, first up is our geek queen. It's more of a chipolata zone. No, stop, that please. Too much? So, super too much. Super too much information. STMI. <laughs> so, no, anyway. Uh, so, so, uh, first up is our geek queen, a lady you've already heard. Uh, she'd better hope there are no tapes of our conversations about the shape of Sam and Dean's nipples uh, before she goes leaking to the press. It's, it's Helen yeah. O'Hara. Yeah, no, there are definitely no tapes of such conversations because we really? have not had that conversation. But have we not? You may have done Wait a second. in the privacy of your own mind. No, we, we did. You came in, we were having a chat about Sam and Dean's the shape of their nipples and then you turned into a giant dragon and you flew off on the cloud. Actually, the end bit does sound like me. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That is true. That is absolutely 100% true. Welcome. How are you? Very well, thank you. Uh, yes. How's your running going? Um, it's going well. I saw you this morning when I was running. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. Uh, and you were, yeah, you were doing what, 3K? Yeah, I was doing a super short one today because I was going that's to the That's not well. a super short one, Helen. It's a super short run. <laughs> I'm doing a 10k in a like, week and a half. And yeah, that but it's is like not... three times as long as a 3k. It's, Come yeah, on. but this, that's, it's not a super short one. That's massively long. Yeah, because it's three times longer. It's fine. Okay. Just making me feel bad about my, my efforts. Never. It's fine. It's all good. Uh, and last but not least is our soundtrack Supremo making a long overdue return to the pod booth. Uh, again, somebody's not necessarily involved in human trafficking, although I did hear her say early on that she had a Clint to Mansell, so I don't know what that's about. Look, I hadn't written anything down. No. I just had to, like, I'm winging it here. you got to help me out, Emma Thrower. you got to help me out. I fair fit. Yeah, it was all right. Yeah. It was I okay, mean, wasn't it? You are right, because I'm not directly involved <laughs> not directly in human trafficking. <laughs> you like to have a buffer zone. Yeah, uh, yeah. Deniability, plausible deniability between you and the people who are actually doing exactly. the human trafficking. And if I say I am, whatever, if I say I'm not, mm. no one's going to believe me. I'm, you, you know, it's lose-lose, isn't it? If you could traffic any uh, any movie character... No, okay, maybe not. <laughs> no, um, no. All right, okay. No, okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's not the question. This week's question has been sent in via Twitter by at Joe Lucy Bradley. Uh, I believe that's just one person. Uh, asking, what are your favourite dumping scenes in movies? Now, these are scenes in movies where people have been dumped. This is not scenes that involve dump trucks because the answer is obviously the beginning of Commando... Uh, or that's more of a refuse lorry. Or there's still, the end of Die Hard with a Vengeance. The end of Die Hard with yeah. a Vengeance. That's got a good dump truck scene. It's very, very Back good. Back to the Future. Back to the Future. I Is think that... we're getting off topic. Isn't it? What? Manure? Manure? Is that dump truck? I don't know. How Is we that dump truck? Defining dump truck. Uh, well, uh, technically speaking, it does dump a whole lot of manure onto Biff. So I'm I'm going to allow that Thank one. That's, that's pretty good. Um, but no, this is scenes about people who've been dumped in movies. Uh, so, you know, it's the whole, it's not you, it's me speech, mm-hmm. which no, no, I've never heard that <laughs> before. Uh, no, I'm totally fine. I'm over it now. I, I'm glad, Chris. You, you seem it's super over, over it. It's over 20 years and I'm okay with it. Um, and... <laughs> She's fine now. She's moved on to live her life, and um, uh-huh. I don't. I don't obsessively check in on what she's doing on Facebook. That's that's super healthy. That's really yeah. good to know. Because that would be. Oh, hang on a second. Sorry. She's at Pilates at five. Okay. Okay, um, Helen. So, um, yeah, this is quite hard to define because I think I keep finding. I was looking, and I kept finding breakup scenes. Yeah, which is a different thing from a dumping. Yeah. Scene. Yeah. So I I might not have a great list of answers here. <laughs> um, because think, obviously, you've, sorry, you've got the obvious things like uh, obviously the social network. The social network. Yeah. Um, I would say um, uh, I would say cruel intentions and fatal attra- uh, not fatal attraction. The other one, the dangerous liaisons, mm-hmm. which are basically the same story, but both have an epic, epic 
it's kind of is it a dumping scene when they haven't been going out but it's definitely a sort of you ain't getting none scene so that kind of feels like it fits the pattern anyway um but in, in both cases it is utterly brutal though the victim is obviously Ryan Philippi if you're watching Cruel Intentions and John Malkovich if Dangerous Liaisons is more your scene. Les Liaisons Dangerous Les Liaisons Dangerous Dange, dang, Voilà Très bien Les, li- <laughs> les Liaisons Dangerous hmm. Joey Tribbiani in the Ricky, movie. <laughs> Ricky Bobby. I rewatched uh, Ricky Bobby recently. Uh-huh. Uh, it seems like it's not the best Adam McKay Will Ferrell movie, but it is certainly the most, I would say, politically relevant in that it's about <laughs> a, a blowhard American who was taught the error of his ways by a sophisticated Frenchman. Mon Dieu. Mon Dieu. <laughs> this was your so sophisticated. How say Monday. <laughs> this was your sophisticated Frenchman voice, just to be clear. Ricky Bobby. <laughs> That's pretty much. No. I have a message from Michel. <laughs> I was just pissing when I thought I would drip in. Uh, I've Googled dumping scenes and nothing's showing up. It, oh, yeah. God. So Thank many... goodness for that, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to bring my A game this podcast. Uh, any second now. It's going to kick in. I, mean, I just feel like I'm failing. I've got... So I've got things like, obviously... Okay, I like... You've got Closer. Um, but that's more... That's a breakup. But is it more of a well, what reverse to that? breakup? Remind, remind us. With, um, so there's the whole I amuse you but I bore you scene mm-hmm. with um, Jude Law and Natalie Portman, yeah, which is really hard to watch. Yeah, it is. I haven't it's a seen tough it for a while, but um, but that's like a almost like she's pushing him away. Mm-hmm. So but that's not technically a dumping, is it? Um, Gone with the it? wind has some classic moments yeah. like this. I mean, obviously, the frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn is is pretty brutal. Mm-hmm. Like that's you know she just rebuilt mm. Tara, dude. Seriously, come on. <laughs> Doesn't Jerry Maguire have a good one where uh, Jerry Maguire gets dumped by his uh, his fiance and he's yeah. like you're break you're breaking you're breaking up with me and he's uh, he's a little bit taken aback by that. Yeah, deservedly. Kelly so. Preston. Yeah. 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 My yeah. list is purely revenge. I've realised. <laughs> I'm looking at it goes revenge, revenge, legally blonde. Yeah. It's her getting revenge after being. Oh yeah, he's awful. He's the worst. Uh, the, the wedding singer Adam Sandler dealing yeah. with being jilted yeah. uh-huh. by crying through everyone else's weddings. Yes, um, and the ultimate one would be would be Jennifer Hudson winning an Oscar for well Effie, not Jennifer Hudson, but yeah, right, she's not going anywhere. But then the song. thing is that song always got me because it's and I am telling you I am not yeah. going, and then she goes. Yeah, it's like but Jack, I'll never let go. I'll never let go. But doesn't and then doesn't she he go. go? Doesn't he go? Doesn't he go? Because just so happens I saw Dreamgirls. Just this week in Good the West Lord. End stage at London's glittering Savoy Theatre in the in the heart of its bustling West End, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was uh, really really great. Mm. That 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 song uh, it stars Amber Riley as Effie, but oh, the, it was uh, Manisha Wallace who was standing. Uh, the you went on the Monday night then? I went on the Monday night, yeah, got the, got the, <laughs> with the cheap tickets. <laughs> uh, but I tell you what, I would, be in, in, I would be impressed if Amber Riley was better than Manisha Wallace, who absolutely, my ears are still ringing. And my wife, <laughs> yes, my yes, my wife, second mention, deal with it, drinking game, fascists. Um, uh, she, she was moved to tears by that song. It's and an it's a amazing hell of a song. song. It's it phenomenal. Is. Because I don't think the song has that great melody. It's it's about the force it's of delivery. It's about the force you yeah. deliver it with. I think there are a few songs on Broadway right now that are a bit like that. I think uh, Define Gravity is a bit like that. And a little bit. Goosebumps thinking about that song. Yeah. yeah. And um, and the end of The Colour Purple, which that's a, that's a... Sorry, we're totally off topic, but that's a musical <laughs> where... Um, it's what we do. For obvious reasons. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for obvious reasons, she's, she starts off singing very timidly and quite controlledly and, and quite quietly. And by the end of the sh- show, she is belting out like Beyonce as she sort of reclaims her life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it is unbelievable when you get to that point. Absolute, again, goosebumps. Yeah. Um, not a breakup. Anyway, um, <laughs> so yes, in short, I agree. Because the film the, the film, the breakup, therefore, doesn't work because it's not... Yeah, it's I can't a remember how they break up. Yeah, it, if it hasn't stuck in the memory, it doesn't deserve right. a place in this I'm discussion. Gonna, I'll, I'll throw some some of your favourite films at you and see if there's any breakup scenes okay. in that. Uh, the Princess Bride. There must be a breakup scene in that, right? I've. I mean, unless you tell, um, you know, she she tells Humperdinck she doesn't love him and never will love him, and you know he has to get her Wesley back, and he says he will, and then he tries to kill him because he's a bad un. Why? Why does he do that? Because he's a bad un. I just explained uh, it. Okay, thank you full. for that. Yeah. What else? Yeah. What other films do you like? Let's do. Let's do this way. Sometimes we should reverse engineer the answers by There's just. There's no breakup in Chappie. There's no. No breakups in Avengers. 
Chippy, don't break up. <laughs> Chippy, don't break up. Chippy, yes, um, Technically speaking... Avengers oh, Age of Ultron. Avengers Age yeah. of Ultron. You're saying the Hulk dumps yes. Black Widow. Yeah. I'm just saying he needs a little me time. A lot of me time, <laughs> clearly. We, we don't know how Pepper and Tony grew apart. <gasps> there was probably a talk. Mm. There probably was. I like the revelation in Civil War. But then again, I do because I'm a Marvel mm. fanboy. Um, but yeah, yeah, I like that. I like that's that's a good breakup. I think there's actually been a, a trend recently, and see if you guys agree with me on this or not. In movies and big blockbusters, to not shoehorn romantic relationships into the films yes. anymore. Um, yes, because it's boring, and and if it's not done well, and there isn't you know really good chemistry, yeah, then it just feels immensely predictable. Mm. Um, but it's hard to have a non-predictable ending that is also satisfying if you have two people flirting the whole way through that then don't do anything about it. That is also incredibly irritating mm-hmm. as a viewer sometimes. So you can't always do that either. So, yeah, it's... Uh, and then also we're getting to the point now where if you replace the girl every single film and it's usually the girl because it's usually a male lead, then you look like a big sexist Bond person. <laughs> um, so that isn't good either. So it's it's kind of a, a difficult thing. Yeah. It's like you know, what happened in between Speed and Speed 2. See with Sandra Bullock's Annie and, mm. you know, has she dumped Jack Traven in the meantime? It sounded like he was a bit too much of a thrill seeker and then she went for uh, Jason, what's his name? Patrick. Because Jason, Patrick, Patrick, who yeah. plays the memorable... Character Keith, is he a cop or not? He's Keith a cop. cop, but he's you see this is the thing because I watched the beginning of it again recently and then realised it was Why? too bad to keep watching. <laughs> um, she's been with him because she thought he was like the sensible, mature alternative to Jack, and then it turns out he's exactly the same dude, and she's all like, "What?" <laughs> um, and that's the whole, you know, that's the whole thing. That's the whole thing. That's the thing. That's the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, a lot of rom coms obviously have people breaking up during the rom-com yep. but that's yeah. usually just the second act yeah. the end of the second act and you have to have you have to prize them apart somehow and then get them back again for the third act and so it's never really for me that memorable in terms of the, the, the dumping but um, we were talking about this on the way down uh, and I keep mentioning the films of Sucker Abraham Sucker yeah. uh, because I've only seen those films I haven't seen any others but The Naked Gun has a great breakup <laughs> sequence between uh, a moment between uh, Frank Drebin and Jane Spencer played by Priscilla Presley when he goes to the uh, the fundraiser um, <laughs> and he suspects her of, of being in cahoots with the bad guy Vincent Ludwig who's played by boss, Ricardo yeah. Montalban who's her boss as well <laughs> starts off with a great joke where he walks in and Jane goes Frank and Ricardo Montalban goes Drebin <laughs> and Leslie Nielsen replies you're, you're both, both right, right. <laughs> so we're off to a good start and then he uh, and then they have an argument he and Jane have an argument and he they end up you know it's one where they exchange lots of uh, sweetheart cutie names as they're having this massively vicious argument you know funny face and sweetie pie you know, you, you know. <laughs> and so he walks away at the end and he, he turns around and he goes uh, by the way I faked every orgasm <laughs> <laughs> Vicious, absolutely vicious. <laughs> I just love that joke so much, and it brings me. Uh, it actually calls to mind one of my favorite breakup scenes in TV as well, which is the first time that Ross and Rachel break oh up yeah. on Friends, <laughs> and they're having a massive argument, and uh, and Ross storms out of the apartment, and Rachel comes after him and goes, and just so you know, it isn't that common. It doesn't happen to every, every guy and it is a big deal and slams the door and Chandler has been hiding behind the door for reasons I can't possibly go because I, I knew it! it. <laughs> so that was crazy. It's so good. Yeah, it's so good. There's also, the, there's also, it's not quite a dumping, but the, the voicemail that a drunken Rachel leaves for Ross mm. going, just so you know, I'm over you. And he yeah. goes, when were you ever under me? <laughs> Oh, we could talk about men's fashion and friends episodes <laughs> all day, um, particularly the friends episodes. <laughs> because, um, any others for any others before we? Um, I think Joe Lucy Bradley is is most undeserved by by this. Yeah, but you know, I, I was trying to yeah. think of in um, Celeste and Jesse Forever or Jesse and it's Celeste and Jesse that way around, isn't it? When um, they uh, Rashida Jones and Andy Samberg are playing the married couple mm. who break up and all their friends are still together but I can't again I can't picture how that happens but that's probably not going to be a dumping it's more of a divorce so I don't know What about Eternal Sunshine? Was that a dumping or more of a breakup? <sighs> it's a Doesn't every breakup have to have a dumper and a dumpy? 
I, I mean, mean, not necessarily. Yeah, some, of them are, some of them can be quite, you know, amicable and, yeah. you know, by mutual consent, as mm-hmm. most football managers tend to <laughs> get, you know, when they get sacked, it's actually not. It's by mutual consent uh, is the phrase. But, I, you know, I, I don't know. In, my, in your experience, as dumpers or dumpees, mm. you know, has it been mutual or have you, have you, what have you done? Have you dumped people? Have you been dumped? I think it's been mutual, mostly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same. I realize we're we're getting a little bit deep here. Yeah, you know, <laughs> no, this, is, this is like a bit of therapy. <laughs> I've never I've never dumped. I actually can't remember. <laughs> so I, don't I, don't I don't know. Yeah, I've always been dumped. Oh, great. Which I think says a lot about the the poor judgment of <laughs> yeah, it really does of Chris. the women I've been you're dating. So, you're so right. Yeah, so right, so right. <laughs> <sighs> If you want to have your question read out in the Emperor podcast, uh, you can do so by sending them in to us via Twitter, where we're at Emperor Magazine. Please use the hashtag Emperor Podcast. We're also on Facebook as Emperor Magazine, and you can email us, of course, at podcast at emperoronline.com. Uh, if you want to have your question answered to satisfaction, as Joe Lucy Bradley found. Sorry, uh, Joe, but, you know, next time it'll be better. That was good. We gave some good answers there. Hooray. For us. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't us, it was her. Oh, that's harsh. Very good. Very good. Oh, God. Okay, time now for some movie news. And we're going to start off with a massive plug uh, because it is New Empire Day here in the UK. Uh, America has to wait a week, a week or so, you know. Like a Marvel movie. Yeah, like a Marvel movie, precisely. Or you can can get the digital edition on the the iPadular uh, device Mm -hmm. that you have as well. It's a great issue. Lots of great stuff aside the issue, as Chris Evans once said. Weirdly enough, Chris Evans is in the issue, uh, but he's not on the cover. Uh, the cover is Spiderman. Spiderman? No, it's Speederman. 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 Spider-Man Homecoming is the cover movie. We have Spider-Man here, played by Tom Holland, uh, which is amazing uh, that a historian can <laughs> cram himself into no weirdly enough although <laughs> we have this has one of the greatest sidebars in the history of sidebars yeah. uh, the Spider-Man Homecoming feature has a sidebar where we talk to the other Tom Hollands <laughs> uh, so not Tom Holland the young English actor who plays Peter Parker but Tom Holland the English historian and Tom Holland the American director of films such as Fright Night and Child's Play <laughs> and we get it, we talk to them about what's it like to be a Tom Holland and you know, have this kid stealing your thunder and whatnot. So yeah. it's a it's a lot of fun. And but just a quick thing: if you haven't seen Tom Tom Holland's performance on Lip Sync oh, Battles, please do yourself a favor and watch his interpretation of Umbrella, Umbrella. by yeah. Rihanna because it's, it's amazing. amazing. And it may confuse you slightly, but otherwise. <laughs> It's amazing. Especially, I thought, for a man pushing 70. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to keep pushing that joke, aren't you? I am going to keep doing right. it. Yeah. In other superhero news, um, my Wonder Woman set visit is in there, so you is can it? learn a little bit yeah. more about them. Ooh, we should read that. Yeah, <laughs> the, um, how second. they made that ahead of its release in just a couple of weeks. It's, it's here somewhere. But I'll, I'll find it in a second. Uh, let me see what else we've got. What else we got? So much more. Okay, so yeah, Spy- oh, Spider-Man Homecoming. Oh, you guys talk amongst yourselves. I'll just I, read this Maybe issue. if you read it out. Oh, yes. Spider-Man <laughs> Homecoming, uh, Wonder Woman. Uh, we have a feature. We're on Falarian and the City of a Thousand Planets where Luke Bethel uh, tells us all about the amazing creatures who uh, liberally festoon his new movie. We have a delve into the wonderful and weird stories behind Twin Peaks, which is about to return to yeah. our screens uh, this Sunday, I believe, maybe Monday in the UK. Uh, so that's all very, very exciting. We have a great story uh, delving deep into the madness behind Transformers The Last Night. Now hear me out. Uh, we sent a writer to spend considerable amount of time on Michael Bay and the writers uh, who were in the writers room on the Transformers last night and it is an eye-opening feature truly <laughs> even if you don't like the franchise or like what the franchise has become it is a really cracking yeah. read so do check that one out uh, Baby Driver uh, Edgar Wright's new movie which is out in June uh, Nick Desemlian went on set of that in Atlanta and uh, got to I think they actually let him sit at the wheel and do little Oh. <laughs> but he didn't get to drive it. <laughs> probably safest for yeah, everyone. It is probably the safest. And uh spoke to pretty much everyone for that one. It's very, very good. Uh, we were also in the set of Churchill, which is the first of this year's two movies about the nodding dog that sells your insurance. I think it's um, the other one, Chris. I think it might be the British Prime Minister yeah. who won World War Two. No, that wouldn't make any sense. Mm, I've sure definitely read the feature. It's Is it yeah. that one? Yeah. It's oh, just, yes. No, no, no. Uh, okay. All right. There you go. And then the Empire interview is, yes, a uh, my chat with, with Chris Evans. Mm. Uh, and Golly. We mainly got, we mainly got talking about 
my abs and how he sees me as a physical role model. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Must be so humbling for you. <laughs> Hashtag humble. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag yeah. blessed. I too am um, incredibly <laughs> humble. Uh, what else do we have in the uh, issue? We have Rita, the... Sue and Bob too. Yes. Yeah, I'm going to get on to I'll get on oh, I'm just saying. I'm going to second. I'm going to go through the different sections. <laughs> in the preview section, we have looks at the uh, Thor run, 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 what's it called? Ragnarok. 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 Of course, I know that. <laughs> uh, Thor Ragnarok, we have Star Wars The Last Jedi. Mm-hmm. Jedi, uh, with the Defenders. Uh, I milked Sack Efron. It's not how it sounds. Good lord. Uh, I subjected him to milk. the how much is a pint of milk question and asked him how much is a pint of milk. And he said, <laughs> it's a good answer. I'm going to read it out and read yeah, it for you. Said, so how much is a pint of milk? He says, I'm balling these days to the point where I don't have to look at the price of my milk. That's how hard I ball. <laughs> So sassy. That's delightful. Uh, we have reviews of some of the movies that are coming your way in the big screen, including Alien Covenant, uh, King Arthur, blah, 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 blah. And the review section, uh, there's loads of great stuff inside that. Talk to Damien Chazelle about La La Land. Uh, Helen is flipping to that feature right now to find out more. <laughs> Tell me more, more about how they made La La Land. More oh, about yeah. La La Land. Wow. Uh, I talked to George Miller about how they made Black, uh, Mad Max, Black and Chrome, Black and White. Basically, they just twiddled a few knobs well, that's essentially it but it's a really interesting interview uh, one of the things I'm really happy with is uh, this month's My Movie Mastermind which is a Mr. and Mrs. style quiz uh, where I quizzed Paul W.S. Anderson and Mila Q.T. Uh, Jovovich really cool. uh, about their knowledge of the Resident Evil movies and same questions but separate phoners um, when I when I interviewed Mila, uh, she was Paul Anderson was in the background, and I could hear him <laughs> cackling every time she got something wrong, uh, which was which was a lot of fun. And probably the uh, really interesting thing in the issue is that Rita Sue and Bob to the classic Alan Clark movie is thirty years old this year, and so we decided to reunite the cast: Siobhan Finneran, George Costigan, and Michelle Holmes. Thirty years after the original movie, which if you haven't seen it, is one of the great uh, British movies of the nineteen eighties. And uh, we got them back on the Bradford House Estate where they shot the movie, and they hadn't been, they hadn't seen each other for thirty years. So that's a lot of fun. Uh, yeah. So, comic book movie on the cover, mm-hmm. but not necessarily comic book movies inside. No. Yes, I mean, mm. four comic book movies inside. <laughs> but apart from that, Empire is a broad church. Indeed, and even the Chris Evans interview was not Captain America related. That's that correct. That was right? gifted yes. related. Although we did talk quite a bit about Captain America and how he's becoming. You shock me. A real life Captain America. He is. Yeah. Uh, I know. By that, we, obviously, he's he's very uh, politically active on Twitter. Uh, he is literally taking down Nazis. And weirdly enough, as we were doing the interview, uh, we were attacked by Hydra in a lift, and uh, he took he took care of them. Awesome. Made short work of those guys. Of course, he did. So it's uh, it's all good stuff. It's a great issue. Four pounds seventy. Summer two thousand seventeen issue. This is one of the. This is the thirteenth issue. Yeah, the rogue issue. This is the thirteenth issue. The rogue issue. We're doing thirteen issues this year. Uh, so check that one out. Four pounds seventy and all good and evil news agents right now. Right. Um, we were speaking about Chris Evans, and we I want to talk about something that he has explicitly approved on Twitter, and like any other right-thinking person, and that is the news of a Snowpiercer TV series. Mm. We still haven't got the Chris Evans starring movie, but we're <laughs> getting the TV series. It is moving forward, and it is moving forward even better with David Diggs set to star in it, and he is, of course, one of the luminaries of Hamilton. Yes, there we go. Ding for those playing that. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Um, I'm playing, actually. <laughs> we just went from Marvel to Hamilton. Yeah, we did. I know. Yeah. We're so predictable. Um, <laughs> but uh, he he's unbelievable in both roles in that in that show. And uh, and it's great that his career is taking off the way that it is. Um, so he'll be the lead in the series. Uh, Scott Derrickson is producing and directing the pilot with Josh Friedman as executive producer and showrunner. And it's, mo- it's loosely um, based on Bong Joon-ho's film. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, you know developing that and widening that out and everything else. So uh, Diggs is, as you would expect, playing someone barely surviving in the harsh conditions at the end of the train who'll have to, you know, Leighton, fight his way through. Leighton Well. Leighton Well. Such a, what a nice st- name. strong name. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, super good news uh, for David Diggs fans, which is basically anyone who's ever heard him um, or seen him, I think. <laughs> Uh, I think that's fair to say, right? Yeah, I would agree. He's also, I mean, in the get down, you see him quite yes, a lot as well do, for do. people who, who haven't seen Hamilton. Yes, that's true. I have um, not seen Hamilton. And in other good TV news, um, Star Trek Discovery launched its first trailer and it yes. looks super good. So, good news there. Yeah, everyone seems to be pretty hyped about that, I think. Mm. 
Um, I think it, it kind of, it's quite mysterious. It doesn't set out a huge amount of stuff. But we do get a little bit of a look at Michelle Yeoh's Captain Giorgio. We get a really good look at Sonequa Martin-Green's um, first officer, mm-hmm. um, and Burnham, on a, an unknown planet. Um, and uh, and we've got a little bit of a taste of what's in story. Some, some of James Frain's uh, Sav- uh, Sarek as well, mm-hmm. Spock's dad. Mm-hmm. So it's it's looking pretty sweet, I have to say. Hello to James Isaacs? Uh, not in this trailer. Mm. No. You know why? Why is that? It's killed in episode two. Oh my god! <laughs> anyway, so there's going to be 15 episodes, which is really good news, and hooray for Star Trek being back on the small screen. And I'm ignoring you, Chris. Yeah, Captain Redshirt—that's what they call him. I know what you are. Oh, oh I, know, I, I know you know what I am. Well, but okay what, then. What do you know? I am. <laughs> uh, literally, as we've been doing this, I, I've seen that uh, Goosebumps Two has got a, a new name. Ooh. Goosebumps colon Horrorland. Okay. okay. All right. I'm yeah. prepared to allow it. It's set to arrive September 21st, 2018, which is the day after my birthday. How did they know? Uh, very, very excited about that one because I really enjoyed the first movie. The first one is mm, really It's a fun. lot of fun. If you yeah. haven't seen that, go and check it out. It's good stuff. The week before my 30th. <gasps> Let's create a horror land. I, I refuse to believe that you will ever be <laughs> yeah, anywhere near 30 ridic- years that old. That seems absolutely ridiculous. Um, I really like the first one. In trailer oh. news, there was good news, bad news for animated films this week. Um, mm-hmm. We had a trailer for the Emoji movie. We also got a first trailer for The Breadwinner, which is the new animated film from the geniuses at Cartoon Saloon behind Song of the Sea and The Secret of Kells. Mm-hmm. This is Tom Moore, is it? This is, is Tom Moore, yeah. Okay, yeah. well, great. And, uh, and this one is the one that Angelina Jolie's involved with as well. Really? Yes. So Wait. it's very, very exciting. Holy cow. Consider me even more excited than I already <laughs> was. Um, there's some interesting news that broke last week that... I feel I feel I feel sad about. I feel sad the the the, uh, the penny finally dropped, um, and we realised that it was announced that we're not going to get a, a Guillermo del Toro directed Hellboy three, mm. yeah. uh, but we are going to get a Neil Marshall directed Hellboy reboot mm-hmm. starring David Harbour as Hellboy. Uh, David Harbour, if you don't know who he is, he's a brilliant character actor. He's been loads of stuff. Most recently, I guess, most prominently yeah. as the uh, sheriff in Stranger Things. Yeah. Very, very good actor, can do a lot of things, big hulking physical presence, yeah. um, and he will be replacing Ron Perlman. Now, I'm excited about the idea of a Neil Marshall Hellboy because he is a good director and he knows his way around horror and I think he'll get it. Um, it's also going to be R-rated, which kind of puts me on edge a little bit. Mm-hmm. It feels yeah. like maybe, oh, Deadpool did well, let's make everything R-rated. Yeah. I, yeah, and as, as dark as Hellboy is, I'm not sure it lends itself to an R rating. Yeah, I'm not sure it needs it in some ways. Like, I think it needs to be scary, but I'm not sure it needs to be gory in the way that you usually get with an R-rated film. And yeah. I, I, so, you know, it's 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 sort of terror on a grander scale than that if, if you start bringing in the Elder Gods and things like that, which it does. And yeah. it just feels a little bit possibly unnecessary. Having said that, obviously, um, yeah, as you said, I, I feel very much the same way. Very mm. good people, so... While the inclination is to be like, mm, not sure, yeah. you you equally have to give them a chance. I am I am sad. I'm sad that, uh, that Guillermo del Toro and, and Ron Perlman will not be getting to complete their trilogy. I guess from a business standpoint, you can see why a studio would be reluctant to back a film, you know, Hellboy 2, The Golden Army, came out in 2008. So, Gosh, so any sequel, I know, any sequel to that would be 10, 11, 12 years yeah. by the time they even got going. And then you have to start introducing people to the idea that they may not have even seen the first two mm-hmm. movies, they may not know yeah. who Hellboy is, and it's going to be a much, much bigger film, and yeah. you get the feeling it's going to be a smaller, more uh, low-key, grittier uh, reboot. Yeah. But um, I would have loved to see what, what those guys had up their sleeve for the third one. Having said that, I said this on Twitter already, but I feel that you know at the end of Hellboy 2, you know Hellboy gets some very, very good news, and mm-hmm. the last shot is of him smiling. So it's a good way to, I think, for those two guys to uh, to go out mm. uh, with this, with this. That's true. Um, and uh, in terms of other comic book news this week, there was this talk about the the shortlist for the Flash becoming longer and then shorter again, and no one quite knows what's happening yeah. with that movie. But uh, apparently, Warner Brothers have been talking to the likes of Robert Zemeckis about the movie. Uh, Robert Zemeckis, who of course expressed some dismay about the way blockbusters are going the last time I spoke to him on the podcast when Allied came out but then Allied didn't do very well at the mm-hmm. box office and neither did The Walk and then suddenly you find yourself in a situation where you're a major major director who's made billions of dollars at the box office over the years and won Oscars and all sorts of stuff and uh, but you can't get the movies that you want to make made anymore and suddenly the 
the big DC or Marvel movie seems very attractive. Maybe. Uh, yeah, I would be... John and I were having this conversation yesterday. Like, I would be... I'm prepared to eat one of my arms if he signs on for that. Really? I'm going to regret saying that. I yeah, don't, you, you could, I, like, super regret that. Well, maybe just, like, eat uh, something else. Maybe, just I, maybe I touched a, wood. Yeah, I think we're just going to offer him a lot of money. But I, I don't just, think I don't think <laughs> I don't think he's the sort of guy who demands that people on podcasts throw in their arms. <laughs> I think you'd be okay. But I is he going to have the freedom? I can't. How it just boggles my mind how all, all these directors leave because they you know creative differences, yeah. or it's because they don't they're not able to do what they want because of but whoever. Then, but how can? But then you get the directors like James Gunn who swear up and down that they've never had more creative freedom, you know, than absolutely. working within these sort of strictures. So I'm definitely talking about DC. Yeah. Um, it is interesting. Oh. I spoke to uh, Jason Blum recently who uh, runs Blumhouse mm-hmm. Films, uh, Blumhouse Productions. And uh, he says that, you know, they give their directors final cut and then what actually happens is the directors become weirdly insecure about that and start taking on more... Uh, input and more notes, and start listening to okay. Jason Blum and his other producers, and go, okay, well, what would you, what would you guys do? And yes, obviously they have final cut at the end of the day, but I think maybe giving enough, giving people enough rope is is the way to go with these mm. movies. And um, mm. but it's not just Robert Zemeckis, but I, Robert Zemeckis Flash would be really interesting because he's Absolutely. a brilliant visualist and he's really great with special effects and yeah. I can see it but would his heart be in it and I'm not sure that would be the, the I mean case. maybe it would he's a good character Flash I mean he's better than, than many in the sort of DC stable and I think that's mm-hmm. one of the reasons he's working so well on TV at the moment so maybe that would play to Zemeckis' strengths mm-hmm. you know um, and Ezra's an absolute and there. there's a yeah, absolutely. You know, he's puck made flesh. He's wonderful. Yes. So, um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm kind of from what we've seen, the very very tiny bit we've seen, and just the, the mere fact of his casting, um, a little bit more excited about that than I might be about some of the other mm-hmm. DC prospect on the slate. Seems fair. Um, <laughs> cyborg. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just something in my throat. You okay? Yeah, I'm fine. You seem to say cyborg, and then no, I just cough. had a cough. It no, was a cough. Yeah, you, it just sounded sure like that? cyborg. You yeah. must have heard, wanted to hear a cyborg. I, I wouldn't I want don't to say know, that. I don't know what Cyborg is. <laughs> no. Oh, he's the guy in Justice League. Yeah, no. Um, yeah, yeah. And also on the shortlist is Matthew Vaughn uh, because he's on the shortlist for <laughs> all of these Everything, movies at the moment. Yeah. Uh, and Sam Raimi. And Sam Raimi is the one that really intrigued me. Okay. Because, as you know, I'm a massive mm-hmm. Sam Raimi fan mm-hmm. and I think that he would be just a, a marriage made in heaven stylistically yeah. for, for The Flash. I can just see a Sam Raimi Flash movie. Um, I still wish that you know we haven't seen Spider-Man: Homecoming yet, and I'm sure it'll be it'll be fine and good and all those lovely juicy things. But you know, I just kind of wish that maybe you know you never go back. You never go back, right? You never go back. Howard Kendall's second spell as manager of Everton was not as successful <laughs> as his first I mean, spell I think we all as manager. That. Of we all know that. Uh, but yeah, Sam Raimi directing Spider-Man in the MCU is something I can fully get behind. And <laughs> yes, if, of course you can. They're your two favourite things in the world. I know. If, if, <laughs> at Anfield would be amazing. Um, and, you know, I just if you can't do that, then The Flash that would be the next best thing. But today they, there was rumours that uh, he may have dropped out already of the running. So. There's also a story that Wonder Woman 2 has been greenlit, which seems probably, I don't know, it reminded me of, I don't think it, it's officially ever greenlit until the first one has done well enough. Mm-hmm. We've heard this in the past. Such and such a sequel is definitely yeah. going ahead. Yeah. It it doesn't. It isn't really until the first one succeeds. So fingers crossed yeah. that the first one does succeed and that one does go ahead. I don't believe they're greenlit until I've watched them. And even then, I'm not entirely sure. Mm. But um, yeah, but certainly you know, they seem to be going after big name directors yeah. and mm. uh, and directors who know what they're doing. Uh, but the Flash has had problems, and Billy Crudup apparently left the cast again this week. Not again; he hasn't. Well, he doesn't. He's like a revolving door. But um, so yeah. And then I was reading, I was reading articles earlier that was like Billy Crudup is still here. He's not left. So I don't know. Mm. That would make me happy if he hasn't gone. I'm a big fan of his. Um, and Maybe again, he just went to the toilet. <laughs> like, oh, Billy's left he's production. Gone. Everything's gone. Oh, he's back. He's back. Everyone, it's okay. It's fine. But then, yeah, I'm saying that about Zemeckis. But I suppose I should be thankful that if it's going to be in someone's hands, yeah. it's going to be in someone like that who, even if maybe they don't have as much creative control as they'd want, then it's going to be a lot better yeah. than someone who's floundering under the the strain of it all. Yes, yeah. no flounderers, please. Yeah, no. and I think look, you know what we've presumably learned from Marvel 
mm-hmm. is that, you know, hiring the kind of dependable, safe journeyman director is the thing most likely to get you in trouble. And hiring the weirdo who no one's ever quite figured out what to do with in a big movie tends to work out pretty darn well. Yeah. So um, fingers crossed that something like that will happen here. Who could you be talking about? I don't know. I'm just talking. I'm just, I'm just talking off the top of my head. I'm not referring to anything in particular. Anyway, hey, Jimmy Kimmel's <laughs> coming back to host the 2018 Oscars. That's Ooh. good. It's pretty good news. I hope he and Matt Damon get to do more ridiculousness <laughs> this time and there's fewer tourist know, screw-ups. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, the screw-ups. The screw-ups. Yeah. yeah. There yeah. was just like one tiny little one there <laughs> yeah. at the end. I don't think anyone noticed. I think they got away with it. <laughs> I love that the tourist was my first, yeah. <laughs> my first thought. I love that this was the first Oscars I really properly didn't work on mm. I mean not, not you know for Empire yeah I didn't do a podcast I didn't stay up with you guys and, and oh, work man. through the night me either and, no, uh, it's me and John I slept through it and I got up to find my phone <laughs> like, like dozens of messages from like radio stations and yeah. internal yeah. stuff here going oh my god we need someone to talk about what's happened at the Oscars I'm like, what? what's happened at the Oscars oh my god I should have stayed up for this one I randomly woke up at 4 o'clock in the morning for no reason really and checked my phone just like oh look La La Land's just one best director oh brilliant uh, oh fantastic uh, fucking brilliant and then um, like out of sheer masochism just kept refreshing and oh, here we go oh it's one best picture oh uh, who would have uh, thought and I nearly went back to sleep but I just again masochistically just kept refreshing to see the feed well, and then I'm suddenly see it's been replaced by moonlight oh my god it actually was so that was a that was an exciting morning for me I'm so glad i watched it live i can't oh. imagine waking up the next morning and being like i know you can watch it back but john and i our our coverage stopped for half an hour because we just couldn't we were like high on skittles or whatever anyway that's our crack awards team there <laughs> admitting our coverage stopped for half an hour while the biggest news story of the movie year was unfolding in front of you Woodward and Bernstein eat your hearts out my god in heaven it anyway amazing. it's all good uh, yeah so I'm very excited about that Jimmy Kimmel did a great job uh, I genuinely feel he, you know, he was so good that they should have locked him down and, and you know, let him next, host the next three or four that'd be, that'd be great um, and talking of Oscar nominees, yes. Hugh Jackman. We've, oh. And we've seen the first look at him in The Greatest Showman, which, again, tying into La La Land, has got songs from Pasek and Paul, who wrote the songs for that. So they're turning it into a musical. <laughs> oh, did they do Dear Evan Hansen, which is burning up at the moment? Yes. And which I haven't heard all of yet, but the bits I have heard are amazing. So that's good news. Yeah, um, so it's kind of a con- contemporary setting, when obviously it's set back in the 1800s. Yeah, I've actually... I, I've actually... Um, wow. I've actually got a little, had a little bit of a look at some of the stuff that's going into this because Hugh Jackman was yeah. talking about it when we talked for Logan and uh, I'm quite excited by this one. I think it's going to be really, really good. Yeah. Um, and it, obviously that picture, which is in the new issue, looks mm-hmm. fantastic. Um, so it gives you an idea of the kind of visual sweep that they're going for. But um, yeah, I'm excited. I'm really excited for this one. You're also excited about something you just handed me while we're doing this. Uh, for season 13, Supernatural is oh, entering the animated world of Scooby-Doo with Jensen Ackles, uh, who is an actor on the show, I guess, and Jared Paddle Ackles' uh, promise is not a joke. They have actually done a, a, an episode flirting with animation before, so this does not entirely surprise me. One cannot flirt with animation, Helen. Well, animation is unable to flirt back. It is, ironically enough, inanimate. <gasps> Um, and we're going to round off the movie news on a sad note uh, to talk about two people who left us this week. Uh, one, it, today, very, very sad, very, very shocking uh, for me. I'm a huge Soundgarden and Audioslave fan. The death of Chris Cornell, very, very suddenly at 52. Um, movie-wise, his biggest impact, obviously, was uh, the, the James Bond theme, You Know My Name, for mm-hmm. Casino Royale, yeah. which I think is absolutely one of the greatest of all Bond themes. Yeah. It is an absolute belter. Uh, and it's uh, very, very sad news indeed. But you know, as as there are great uses of of Soundgarden and Audio Slave tracks in movies. I mean, uh, the one that springs to mind is the use of Shadow in the Sun by Audio Slave uh, in Michael Mann's Collateral, which is a really, really great song. Oh, yeah. uh, used very, very well as well. So it's very, very desperately sad. One of the great, great voices I think in rock history. Absolutely, just amazing. Four octave range apparently. Nearly four octave wow. range. I read that today. Uh, I was I was actually listening to some of his tracks earlier, and that actually, yeah, that fits. Yeah. Um, I hope somebody's looking after Eddie Vedder, who is the only remaining frontman of the great '90s grunge band. As somebody oh, pointed out. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, and then, uh, and huge then a, loss. Absolutely huge loss, and uh, another huge loss was this is again another shock, huge shock. Powers Booth mm. 
who passed away at the age of 68 uh, this week. Um, a huge shock because I just thought Powers Booth was one of those people who would honestly never die. Yeah. Uh, he felt like he'd been around forever. He felt like he was going to go on forever. Amazing, amazing uh, actor full of, of grit and gravitas and a great villain, but also a great hero in mm. movies like Red Dawn. He's fantastic in that. Um Southern Comfort, Walter Hill Southern Comfort, he's great in that as well. Great villain in the likes of Sin City and yeah. I guess most recently he played someone shady in The Avengers and uh, went on to play the same role in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. But just a wonderful face, a great hairline <laughs> and an amazing voice. Yeah, really. Another yeah, another amazing voice actually. And, uh, and can we just be honest here as well, probably as someone pointed out on Twitter, alongside Rip Torn, possibly the owner mm-hmm. of the greatest name, and it is actually yeah. his name mm. uh, in Hollywood history, Powers Booth. Yeah, it's pretty freaking impressive, isn't it? I mean, a man with that name had to end up in a superhero movie sooner or later, right? <laughs> so, uh, so thank goodness for that. Thank goodness for that indeed. Uh, but a fantastic, fantastic actor. And I've just remembered Sudden Death, a Jean-Claude Van Damme movie where he's a really, really, really great bad guy in that as well. And uh, Tombstone just, and Deadwood. I mean, Tombstone. Just, oh. Dead. I mean, he was made for Westerns. Mm. He was just made for Westerns. Um, great, great actor. But uh, yeah, very, very sad indeed. And of course, Brad Gray as well. Another yes. sudden uh, head of pa- uh, former head of pa- former Paramount, head of Paramount Pictures, Pictures and uh, yeah, a, a huge, huge presence in the industry, and mm. again, taken at no age whatsoever. No age. Um, so, bit of a shock for Hollywood this week. Very, very sad, and our thoughts are indeed with uh, all our loved ones, um, Powers Booth, Chris Cornell, and Brad Gray, who all died this week. Uh, time now for this week's guest. Uh, it is a slot fit for a king. We declared, and so Warner Brothers heard us, and they gave us Charlie Hunnam. Which is fair, because he plays King Arthur in this week's King Arthur, Legend of the Sword, the Guy Ritchie movie, which reboots the uh, the, the wielder of Excalibur. Should we say that? Yeah. You can say that, can't you? We can say That's that. That's fine. That's good. It's kept a strong few years for Hunnam, where he's gone from strength to strength in Hollywood. He is, of course, a Brit, but he's gone from strength to strength over there uh, via Sons of Anarchy, Pacific Grim and Crimson Peak. Guillermo del Toro loves him. Uh, and he was talking to Dan Jolin last week. So do enjoy this little chat. Charlie Hunnam, welcome to the Empire Podcast. Thank you very much for having me. So, uh, how does it feel to be king? Uh, <laughs> it feels very good. You know, it was very, very, very exciting to get this call. Um, I had wanted the role and there'd been some stiff competition for it, as there always is, uh, f- to work with the good directors. Yeah. You know, it's funny if you sit down and write a list of the top whatever 20 50 directors you realize that the the list is quite short you know mm. in in even 20 you know you start to struggle and guy Ritchie obviously is up there so whenever a, a, one of those directors um the you know the news breaks that they have a new project competition is incredibly fierce and mm. so i had been a huge fan of guy Ritchie's and was also had a real affinity for the arthurian legend had been a important narrative uh, in my youth um, and actually John Borman's Excalibur was the film that made me want to become an actor in the first place yeah. when I became obsessed with it as a as a young man of uh, six or seven so the two things together I felt like this is really worth fighting for and, and it was a fight to get the role but you know life's tough every, every, you, you got to fight for everything you want in this life <laughs> right. so well, I mean what's it like then working with him being on a Guy Ritchie set I kind of you know I got, I, I got the impression from my, my, my brief experience on set that it's uh, replete with colourful banter <laughs> yeah it is I mean he's a really he's a he's a good quality human being in terms of he likes people he likes um, to have fun and he doesn't think that life and work need to be mutually exclusive so he right. brings his philosophy of life to the set uh, and one of the central mandates that he gave me and everybody else on this project was that we had to have fun every day. Mm. That if we were having fun and having a laugh and making each other laugh, then hopefully the audience would have fun and, and you know, would make them laugh occasionally mm. too. So, um, but it is a challenge. You know, one of the things that it, there's a lot of pressure in this job, obviously. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of money on the line, and particularly on these huge films. Um, I mean, I, I don't know what the budget is, but I, I got to imagine it was in excess of $100 million to make this film. And so that comes with a certain sense of responsibility, which can be, if one allows it to be, quite 
not paralyzing, but rather intimidating. Yeah. And so how often how people mitigate that sense of anxiety about the responsibility is to do an enormous amount of homework. Guy is not one of those people. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen somebody more reluctant to do preparation than he is. But it's, I, I st- initially I thought that was laziness, but <laughs> I started to realize when I would watch his process that it's actually part of his particular alchemy. Mm. He is absolutely exceptional in working in real time. And the script to him is only a blueprint um, because he can't really synthesize the result. He has to be there in real time working. But luckily for him, he's absolutely excellent, like I said, in working in real time. So um, that was a new skill set for me. Um, I had to be much more malleable, more flexible than I have been uh, traditionally in my approach to the work but it was exciting it was, it was a new challenge I mean you mentioned it had to be fun every day so what did you do for fun I mean was it you know <laughs> pranks or, or you know no I mean not I mean th- yeah there was there was definitely some shenanigans here and there um, but more, you know he surrounds he has a very lovely trailer uh, this sort of bespoke gentleman's um, (laughs) boudoir that he has created for himself with a log burning fire within the trailer (laughs) and you know hammered copper surfaces and uh, handmade you know plates and all of this kind of stuff but it becomes this sort of cozy living room where a lot of the conversation and time between takes is spent and for Guy even the time during takes is spent because he has a couple of monitors there and he'll sometimes even just direct from this trailer but you know he plays music all the time we would play chess Um, he likes to stay fit and it was uh, mandatory for me to stay fit during this so I would we would would work out a lot you know so we would just fuck about basically (laughs) you know keep it keep it fun keep it lively yeah. I mean, this, you've, um, you kind of march yourself out with, uh, I think you said it yourself in the past, like tough guys and psychos, those kind of roles. Obviously, you know, Jackson, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Sons of Anarchy is the prime example. But it, it sort of, it did look like, you know, Arthur's a tough guy too. But it does seem, you know, I was, you know, looking at um, Lost City of Zed and, you know, the character you played in Crimson Peak as well. Like maybe you were stepping away from that a little bit. And it was, is that the case? Um, I don't know if it's been intentional. I mean, I just have always followed my heart. And at the beginning of one's career, obviously, um, within reason, you do the work that you're able to get. I mean, I've always afforded myself the luxury of being very picky. But, you know, there is a certain... um, reality to just life that this is also the way I, I, I feed myself so mm. uh, I couldn't take too long off waiting for the perfect job um, but you know there's all sorts of as we all do I think to a certain extent in creative fields to explore the nature of our own identity and the things that we're struggling with and I think there was a lot of um, sense of inadequacy that I had as a youth and mm. um, and fear that I had that I went on a journey of, of, of trying to find some catharsis with through the work. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't a particularly tough kid, but it grew up in a tough environment and was much more artsy and interested in storytelling. And a lot of my peers were interested in drinking and punching each other in the face. And so I ended up having a lot of unpleasant experiences growing up mm. and it was difficult and, and it created a lot of fear in me and it, that was difficult to reconcile because I came from a family and both my brother and particularly my father were incredibly hard men yeah. and so I think there was some deep rooted fear in me and some sense of wanting to explore that and be drawn to characters that had that external strength but what I'm much more interested now um, that I don't have that same sense of fear because I have gotten busy. And although now I'm not in an environment or a position in my life where I ever have to fight, yeah. I have spent a lot of my adult years perfecting the fighting skills in case ever that should arise. Uh, hopefully it never does. But if, if it does, I'm ready to whoop some ass. Uh, <laughs> but mu- now I'm much more interested in the internal journey and how we cultivate a sense of belief 
that is required in ascending to our better self, you know, the old classic fear versus faith scenario, mm-hmm. but in the more spiritual, intellectual, emotional realm than the physical. Well, that's interesting because what you were saying about growing up, that that's kind of like there's a montage that almost is doing that in King Arthur, isn't there? Because he's, yeah. he starts as, you know, the little sort of scrawny street kid and... Uh, well, not street kid, it's this little scrawny noble kid who becomes mm-hmm. a street kid and then he has to toughen up. But then what you were sort of moving on to really keys in more with Percy Fawcett from Lost City of Zed, you know, this this guy who's trying to better himself and he's standing by, you know, going on these adventures and, and making this discovery. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's ultimately it's, I suppose when you distill it down to its essence, uh, however it's colored in or dressed up, they're stories about the aspiration to ascend to our better self and what prevents us from doing that. And of course, I think in in all of our lives, what prevents us from doing that is the way we convince ourselves that we're inadequate through our the pain that comes from past failures and the mm. reluctance to have to feel that pain again. So we start to um, get a sense of our personal limitations and what's I think exciting about those narratives and something that is a positive message and something to learn about oneself is the importance of breaking down that sense of personal limitation and every time you get knocked down or encounter a failure to get back up and Mm. and that's that's certainly something that I've had to um, become very acquainted with in my career because I have enjoyed uh, a certain level of success and I've also had to in- endure a lot of failure. So. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, they, they, anytime then Axe talks about, you know, the audition process, I don't know, <laughs> it must be so stressful. <laughs> you know, the it's things horrible. that, you know, you must, you, the people you put yourself in front of and, and I don't have to. Sorry, I don't have to bring it back up. <laughs> no, no, it's 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 fine. It's you know, it's funny. I've uh, fortunately um, for this period, and I do think they're just rhythms to careers, and like you know, in the entertainment business, as as with every other industry, where things get easier and tougher, and then easier mm. again. And uh, I must say, King Arthur is the only time I've had to audition in several years. So, um, but again, I. I had to fight for this role. It was yeah. very competitive. There was a lot of people wanted this role, and so I was uh, I was willing to, um, you know, to swallow my pride and go and fight for what I wanted. Almost literally. <laughs> Almost literally. Yeah. No. The the the, 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 the moment that I uh, that I that I got this role, I think, was I was very very skinny while I was auditioning, and um, and guy had wanted somebody that was quite physically formidable and I wasn't that while I was auditioning because I was doing the last season of Sons of Anarchy and my mm. character was going through all of this turmoil and trauma in his life and I'd lost a lot of weight to reflect that and so um, on on the hundredth time Guy brought up my rather um, unimpressive physicality in the audition I finally just said you know what pal if you're that concerned about it I've, you know, because when you're auditioning for something like that, they try to do it all on one day and do, it's more of a screen test, chemistry test. They bring all the girls they're interested in and all the boys they're interested in and do a bit of a mix and match hmm. thing. So it's quite awkward because everybody is sort of passing each other in the hallway. So I knew who the competition was and there were some, you know, some tidy little <laughs> contenders in there. And so I, I, uh, I finally just said to the guy, listen, if you're that concerned about the physicality, let's just turn the camera off forget about all this auditioning bollocks and uh, you can bring those other chimpanzees in here and we can have a fight for the role and whoever walks out of the room gets the part and there was a little sort of glint in guy's eye and he just smiled and he said all right tough guy get back in there and read the scene again you cheeky c-. and uh, and i said uh, i don't know if i can say that on this but i think maybe we'll bleep it but you know okay. not to worry. <laughs> but uh, but that was I think looking back, that was actually the moment that he decided I was the Arthur that he was looking for. And actually, just quickly before we finish, I, I saw that you're, you're doing Papillon as well. You're doing a remake of that. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, we're reticent to call it a remake. Of course, mm-hmm. um, Papillon is um, the, 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 the book and the film that was the adaptation of the book is, um, is a biography of um, Henri Charrier, who was uh, a French 
villain who ended up getting um, wrongly accused of murder and sent to French Guiana prison colony mm. uh, and, and had to endure incredibly brutal treatment for 10 years before he finally escaped. So we, of course, are going to have to en- endure when the film comes out um, the endless comparison to the original. Yep. We sort of, in the process of it, um, liberated ourselves of any sense of a remake because it is a true story and we went back to the source material not to the original screenplay or the film um, and felt like we could say to each other with the straight face that we were doing an independent adaptation of the source material not a remake Um, the the director of the film is an incredibly talented um, Danish director called Michael Neuer who was the reason that I signed on to do the film I'd been uh, watching him and admiring his work from afar for quite a few years Mm. Um, is a uh, is a documentary filmmaker that got into making feature films and has a real documentarian sort of naturalistic sensibility as a filmmaker so I think that his sensibility will separate it quite significantly right. from the original film and so yeah uh, I play um, Papillon um, we got um, Rami Malek um, to play the role that Dustin Hoffman oh, fantastic. played uh, yeah. for Mr. Robot and you know we had a lovely time and so I haven't seen the film yet we just we just wrapped um, the beginning of this year or the end of last year I should say mm. so we have high hopes um, but you know you never know as as you know and I know films are made in the editing room so yeah. I've I've taken to doing something that's become quite important to me in my process. I, I read the script over and over and over again while filming, obviously, as every actor does. But I can't let the journey go until I read the script one final time. Because it's interesting, as you read the script, you have the anticipation of what a scene will be and one's personal vision but inevitably that evolves and becomes something different during the process so it's really valuable as you go through to keep um, reading the script um, with the knowledge of what you've already shot because it Mm. can recalibrate your interpretation of what's coming forward so I do that over and over and over again like you know, not every day because I don't have time to work long days, but every weekend I'll read the script again. And then at the end of the project, whether it's the day after we wrap or a week after we wrap, I go through and read the script one more time with the benefit of knowing every scene and being able to visualize. So then I get to watch the film in my head. Mm. And I had a lovely time doing that at the end of Papillon. Oh, cool. I felt as though we had the potential to have made a really good film. So, But then, of course, it'll just see how, how they... Um, handle it in editing and if they fuck it up or not but I have high hopes that they will not cool well looking forward to it thanks a lot Charlie thanks 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 for joining us I appreciate it thanks for having me take care okay now it's time for a truncated review section sorry about that Uh, let's start with King Arthur Legend of the Sword Hell's Bells yeah, so this is uh, a kind of reboot of the uh, Arthurian legend that could not be more geezer and generally Guy Ritchie. Um, so in this version of the story, um, Charlie Hunnam's Arthur has grown up on the, in the streets of Londinium, specifically living in a brothel right. um, after he was rescued from bo- a boat as a child. It a boat turns race? Out, no, just a boat. boat. Definitely right. no boat races okay. here. That's far too posh. Um, <laughs> it, it turns out that his dad, Eric Banner, Uther Pendragon... Um, basically was was killed by a giant monster um, when Arthur was just a nipper and he managed to escape in this boat. Um, his uncle is uh, Vortigern, who has made himself king. He's by, by Jude Law. And so the whole country is groaning under the weight of his, you know, works. Um, and Arthur knows none of it. Arthur has no connection with any of it whatsoever. But there comes a time when the sword in the stone makes itself known and all young men are called upon to go and try and pull the sword out the stone. And what do you know? Arthur can do it. So that gives him no end of trouble at his uncle's hands. And that's basically the sort of the the central conflict, I guess, in the film. But it's a weird mix. And I had fun with this film. It doesn't always, like, work, if I'm honest. Mm -hmm. But I did enjoy it, I have to confess. I think I'm a little bit probably more up on it than our review is. um, Because... It's kind of, it's very high energy and it's very fast paced. So even though nothing makes sense and it's all ridiculous um, and it's super, super lacking in female characters of any sort, let alone good ones, um, it's it's just kind of 
pacey enough that I didn't really mind and I just kind of got swept along by it. Mm-hmm. Great, great score by Daniel Pemberton. I'd like to say that is absolutely mm-hmm. fantastic. It's already on my running mix. Oh, really? Um, oh, cool. And it's and there's moments of of kind of greatness here, but I mean, you know, we've we've established now that you know they, they, this has already sort of been a bit of a flop at the U.S. box office, so it seems unlikely that it's going to, they're going to get another chance at it, um, which is a shame because it's one of those films where it's so busy setting things up, it might have actually worked better second film down the line, and you kind of wish that somebody would just make a film and not think three films ahead yeah. um, sometimes. But um, so yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But it's kind of maybe fun enough on a Friday night. But we gave it two stars, and I can't really argue with mm. that too much. Mm. Bit of a shame. Yeah. Yeah. There's one of those movies where they uh, they talked about six sequels, five sequels before yeah, they did, yeah. even announced the first one. And I think I think they they'd gone very quiet on that in the last few months. Mm. Um, yes. But, um, and there there are moments of kind of cool here. There really are. I do want to say that there's a great scene with a. The Lady in the Lake, which is beautiful looking, um, but just too much of it is just too out there. I think. So yeah, two stars then for uh, King Arthur: Legend of the Sword. And uh, next up, we have Anne Hathaway forging an unexpected bond with a giant monster in Colossal by Nacho Figalondo. Yeah, this is a film you don't want to know too much more about than that, basically. But but Anne Hathaway, it's fair to say, yes. is uh, <laughs> one of the film's posters spoiled a major well, yes. revelation yeah. for me. That, so, that, I mean, yeah. I think that's pretty. That was in the yeah. trailer, so that's okay. I hadn't seen the trailers. But um, damn it! <laughs> but no, it's it's okay knowing that premise because that was kind of established. But you don't want mm-hmm. to know too much more about what or why or you know how is going on. So Anne Hathaway plays Gloria, who's. Um, a massive screw-up, basically. Like, she's been hard partying for all of her 20s and uh, gets dumped by her boyfriend, who's played by Dan Stevens, our spirit animal, <laughs> and um, and heads back to the small town where she grew up to sort of basically drown her sorrows. But when she wakes up after nights where she got blackout drunk, she wakes up to news reports of a giant monster attacking Seoul. And the giant monster has certain tics that she also has, and she thinks that's weird, deservedly so. And, you know, so there's clearly some connection there. And, and the film, I guess, is looking into what is going mm. on beyond that. So I don't want to say mm. much more than that. I will say that um, one of her best friends and her sort of um, main foil, I guess, in this film is played by Jason Sudeikis, who's really, really good. Um, so he kind of, he's he often plays like the slacker dude who's, just the dude and and he kind of starts off that way here and then does something a little bit different and it's kind of fun and unexpected and nice um so i I don't want to say too much i mean this was made for about 50p i think um and uh is very much not the the godzilla like yeah it's totally not what i was expecting in a way because you 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 remember Anne hathaway on the podcast when she did the podcast with Robert De Niro, mm-hmm. and it was a film she was about the to go, yeah, but it was a film she was about to go and shoot. Yeah, and you hear about it, and you just think it's going to be Godzilla two. Yeah, and it's not. It's really very yeah. much not, and it's okay. it's much weirder and uh, stranger and better, I think, uh, than that. So um, it was Spanish director Nacho Vigalondo who did it, and uh, yeah, can't wait to see what he does next because I really like this. We gave this four stars. Four English stars for Colossal. That's a Colossal star rating right there. Oh. Um, thank you. And we're going to end off this week's uh, Truncated Review section. Again, apologies for that, but we're in a new booth and we have people banging in the door. Um, we need to get our timings more <laughs> better. We need to work on it a little bit. Uh, so, next up we have Snatched, which teams Goldie Hawn in a movie for the first time in forever. Yeah, for 15 years time. forever. forever. Um, and Amy Schumer. But to good effect. Mm, Emma Thrower. Mm. Well, uh, it seems we are, the theme of the podcast is dumping uh, this week. And uh, again, like in Colossal, we're introduced to Amy Schumer's Emily after she has been freshly dumped and also freshly fired. So um, she's got this amazing holiday booked with her, well, now ex-fiancé to Ecuador. But she's it's non-refundable. She's got no one to go with. So who does she turn to? She turns to her mum because, mm-hmm. you know... Your mum's as fun-loving as Goldie Horn. Who, who isn't going to ask your mum? Fun-loving Goldie. Fun-loving Goldie Horn. So um, 
she persuades her to go. Um, but as the title suggests, the pair swiftly go south in more ways than one. You've got Wanda Sykes and Joan Cusack who pair, who play some people who are trying to throw them off the scent of the way they're going down because Schumer's being lured into uh, a hunky honey trap by uh, Tom Bateman, who some of you might have seen on uh, ITV in, in uh, Jekyll and Hyde. But uh, after he takes them down one too many wrong avenues, the pair are soon ramps and bait and... Um, they basically end up in the jungle after escaping. And um, yeah, there's some... Um, <laughs> the, the South American heavies are, let's say, quite broadly cast. It's not not towing the line too well on the old PC stakes here. But um, there's also Christopher Maloney, who's always a welcome uh, oh, addition yeah. to any film. But he's a, he's like a chiseled explorer type that they find and it, they think it's going to be asked to their prayers. But he, as long as a lot of other points of the film are just so predictable. Mm. And um, it's just, apart from some weird Cronenbergian horror, body horror what? that belongs, I know, in another movie altogether. I won't, I won't ruin it because, again, that kind of has to be seen to be believed. It's just really predictable and this really shady Latin casting doesn't help it. And although we've missed Goldie very much, yeah. this isn't the film we wanted Goldie to come back with. And it was written by Katie Dippold, who did The Heat and Spy. Yeah. So you'd think it's a match made in heaven, but it's... It's a shame. It just, it's a shame. Yeah, it's just a double, you know, the willing double act never really, they just never really quite gel, unfortunately. So, oh, yeah. Goldie, Goldie, Goldie. Two stars for a National Lampoon's Gringo Vacation. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Intriguing, intriguing. Actually, it makes me want to go see it, to be honest. But uh, yeah, two stars in for Snatched. Film of the Week is colossal. It really is a colossal success. Yeah, a colossal <laughs> success, uh, which is all very, very good. And that is it uh, for this week's Empire Podcast in association with Mustard. Join us next week for more film-related fun. We'll be joined by... Genuinely don't know. Yeah, Somebody exciting. It's going to be fun. Oh. It's going to be really, it's going to be primo guesto. It's going to be number one on the Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise will be on next week's podcast. Tell all your As friends. As your lawyer, Chris. Tell As your, your lawyer. What? No. 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 The Red Skull will be making his no. triumphant return. No. Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll actually look at the board when we get back to the office. The board's gone. Oh. The board has gone. It's in my head now. If anything happens to me, this podcast may not have no guests for up to oh, two weeks. Oh, this is terrifying. So I may just, never return. I'm just letting you know. So I'm, <laughs> I'm that important now. It's like the, the nuclear football. Anyway, uh, we also have a bunch of spoiler specials uh, out at the moment. We've just got spoiler specials coming out of our mm. backside. Uh, we have the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 special, which is up right now mm-hmm. with James Gunn talking about most of the major revelations in that film. And our Alien Covenant uh, special is going to be up on Tuesday, May 23rd. That's next Tuesday, May 23rd, uh, with Helen talking to Ridley Scott. Yeah. Sir Ridders himself. All very, very exciting. And in the not-too-distant future, we have a Pirates of the Caribbean, Salazar's Revenge, spoiler special with the directors Joachim Ronin and Espen Sandberg. And hopefully beyond that, (laughs) a Wonder Woman spoiler special with the director Patty Jenkins. But we shall see... Yes. We shall see. Oh, and beyond that, no, stop. a mummy spoiler special. I'm serious. This is and the Baby Driver with Edgar Wright. It's all kicking off in the spoiler specials. Just don't have any regular guests. It's fine. Tom, <laughs> Tom Cruise is going to hear my. He's yeah, going to hear my plea. Yeah, he's going to hear your plea. Yeah. He answers prayers. Yeah, we shall see. Until next week. Until next week's show, when it'll just be the three of us talking because we've got no guests. It'll be me doing funny voices. Uh, it's goodbye from Emma. Goodbye. It's goodbye from Helen. Totally. And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to have a panicky meltdown about having no guests <laughs> for next week. But you know what? It's fine. Everything's fine. Thanks for listening. See you next week. <laughs>